Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs, and today we have to talk about innovation and venture capital around healthcare and health insurance. To do that, we have Busy Burr with us, and Busy is the Vice President of Innovation at Humana, uh, based in Silicon Valley. And of course, Humana is a huge health insurance company, and at Humana, Busy is in charge of bringing more innovation to Humana and their venture fund, and uh, some of the investments include Amada, Livongo, Aspira Health. And before man, Busy had a wonderful background in diverse areas like investment banking, VP of global brand management at Gap, entrepreneurial residence at eBay, founder of a startup, and lots of other things. So it, it's a list. Um, ben, she holds a BA from Smith College and an MBA from Stanford. And she's been doing improv for many years, which we're going to hear about <laughs> soon, I promise. So we have a lot to talk about. So let's get it rolling. Busy, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dave. Glad to be here. Definitely. And a special thank you to Busy. So I actually lost the previous interview. This is the second one. And so Busy's super awesome and said she would be one after she cursed my name a few times under her breath or many times. <laughs> she came back on. So I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. So let's just realize that all the brilliance was lost. So yeah, we'll just exactly. have to see what, whether, exactly. we can, whether we can deliver anything on this one now. Yes. If, if there's any issues or if it's not as exciting, you can bl- it, all blame goes to Dave. My, me, so. <laughs> but um, all right. So with that, yeah. So I kind of mentioned, you know, some of your background. Can you kind of just kind of walk us through uh, your background before joining Humana? And where did you grow up? So um, I grew up in Massachusetts, um, okay. born and raised outside of Boston, a little town called West Newberry. Um is very proud of, of my roots in New England um, and really um, found my way uh, to California um, when I went to grad school to Stanford. So um, kind of figured it would be just a quick foray to California and then back to New England. But like many who find their way out here, I got I got the bug and um, have been here for about 35 years, um, you know, focused on on all the stuff that's going on in Silicon Valley. It's been a very exciting time to to be in Silicon Valley. Nice. And what what was one of your kind of favorite roles or companies you worked with in the, in the past that you can tell us about? Does it have to be in the ba- past? Because I mean, I can <laughs> sound dorky, but I I actually think my I think my current job I think I All finally right. have you know I've I've landed the winner. I, I you know so uh, All right. I have to. All right. That's great. So so why <laughs> why this one compared to like the other ones, or why have you now that you okay, tell us what you do at Humana a little bit? I mean, kind of. And then tell us why it's been, you know, so much, you know, amazing compared to your past experiences. Well, I think you know part of it is, um, and you mentioned I, I've I've had a very um, diverse background. I would say the um, the common themes that I look for and have been looking for have been um, kind of a relentless focus on on serving the customer or client. Um, so the, many of the companies that I've worked with have been focused on you know really outstanding customer experiences, and I've worked for for folks like, you know, people like Mickey Drexler who are, are, you know, like I said, just relentless. I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about the customer at the same time. Um, I've also, uh, you know, the other sort of common theme, as I mentioned, is this Silicon Valley roots, which is really, um, understanding emerging companies, emerging technologies, and trying to, you know, keep my, my, you know, my hand on the pulse of, um, of what's coming, um, that can, 
you know, that can change the, change the future. Um, so I think those, you know, merging those two things has been, um, kind of the, the common theme in my background. Um, and then, you know, when I think about what I'm doing at Humana, you know, I've been at Humana for about two and a half ish years and, um, this is my first foray into healthcare. And, um, what I love is, um, that there's a lot that needs to be fixed in healthcare and people who work in this business and work in this industry are earnestly working hard to make it better, make it better for doctors, make it better for members. Um, and I get to work with people like that who are all on a mission and I'm part of that mission. Um, I also believe that the combination of really deep sort of member centricity, really focusing on the customer, as well as um, combining that with emerging technologies, that's the thing that's going to drive change in the healthcare system in the United States. So I feel like I'm kind of found the, the bullseye for, um, for what I can do and, and where it, it ties to a mission. And before we get too far, can you just give us a, a brief overview on Humana? Just so if people don't know exactly what you guys do. I mean, most will, but... <laughs> so, yeah, so Humana is, um, I think, probably a Fortune 50-ish company. Um, and we are, um, uh, you know, sort of a healthcare company. We um, are a health plan administrator. We do with Medicare Advantage. We also have a commercial business, but we are focused on... Um, on serving, uh, primarily serving the Medicare population and um, both delivering uh, health plans as well as uh, care in a sort of care services, care management services to Humana at Home. We have a pharmacy. Um, we serve over uh, 3 million members at Humana. So it's a, it's a big company and the primary business is focused on Medicare Advantage. Okay. And, and as, as head of innovation, you know, what's, what's your role? Like, what are you tasked with? They're like busy. You got to go do this. What what is that that you uh, are supposed to do? <laughs> so I don't know anybody who's paying attention to the healthcare industry in the United States knows that uh, um, innovation is vital and um, it's key to to what is going to ideally make the changes that that need to happen. Um, so uh, the job I have is um, really trying to um, help. Uh, if you think about um, Medicare Advantage that unlike a lot of other health insurance kinds of plans, uh, we tend to have our members on for somewhere from seven to eight years. And when we have that, we can actually look at their, at their health longitudinally and really invest in the kinds of things that are going to improve their health. At, at Humana, we have um, this, this bold goal that we have stated publicly, which is um, we are going to improve the health of the communities we serve by 20% by 2020 by making it easy for people to achieve their best health. Mm -hmm. So we are a health-focused company. We are working on innovation that helps people manage um, and take care of their chronic conditions, things that can help slow their disease progression, and, and just really, frankly, help people achieve their best health. Ooh, I like that. All right, so it's a 20% improvement by 2020. That's quick. And and so how do you define that 20%? And we measure it by uh, – CDC has a measurement called healthy days, which is people report the number of healthy days that they have in a, in a month. And um, are, are, we're carefully uh, watching healthy days in the communities that we serve, and, um, and we're making progress. I can't give you the exact stats, but we're making progress, and, 
you know, they we're on a trend to uh, to hit that number by 2020. Really? Well, that's exciting. And, mm-hmm. and and you almost answered my next question. My next question is like, how do you take something like innovation, which is kind of subjective, and make it more concrete? And so, you know, with this 2020 campaign, um, a lot of your decisions and actions that kind of revolve around this. Or are there other initiatives? Um, or how do you? Uh, um, so I think that the the, the bold goal forms um, not just innovation, but it it forms the the culture and mission of the company more broadly. So, um, and just a, as someone who's leading leading innovation, that's um, I, I like everyone else um, at Humana is focused on that. Um, I, I think when we think about um, innovation, to you, it's it's it sounds like it's a, a general term, and I do think um, lots of innovation people um, can be uh, you know have not served uh, innovation professional world well because those of us who lead innovation, particularly in big companies. Innovation is a function. It's a um, it's a discipline. It's a set of methods. It has budgets. It has governance. It has deadlines. <laughs> um, and so uh, and so we actually um, work really uh, closely across the enterprise um, to frankly uh, one of the key measurements that we have is how are we. Um, reducing um, healthcare costs, medical costs um, across Humana. So our efforts are measured on our ability to um, to uh, reduce costs for our members. Um, and most of that often, and a lot of that is often going to come from the um, making people healthier. So if you think about, um, you know, the mission, you know, a mission like Humana has, um, we actually can invest in people's health because we have time to reap the benefits of that investment. So for us, you know, investing in our members' health is actually a really good profit model. <laughs> so we are really aligned with our with our members' best interests. So we invest in those kinds of programs. They're going to like make it easier and better, better lives, make it you know have better lives for for our members. Um, particularly those who are dealing with chronic conditions. So when you deal with the Medicare population, dealing with people who are often facing, you know, really challenging multiple kinds of chronic conditions like congestive heart failure or or COPD or diabetes. And um, and, and health for them is what's going to happen often in that sort of 360 days a year, they're not sitting in their doctor's office. So you have to help them figure out how to live their lives and live their best lives um, and provide the, the sort of tools and services and knowledge um, and support um, to help them be able to have a fulfilling, healthy life. Interesting. All right. Yeah, I can see why you like working there, and uh, that, mm-hmm. it's very inspiring. And so, yeah. can you can you break down kind of one of those areas? You know, you want to make some, um, you know, your members healthier. So, let's say in diabetes or heart disease. So you you know you sit with your team mm-hmm. like, okay, well, how are we going to tackle heart disease? Um, you know, yeah. and yeah, can you walk us through one of those programs and kind of what you're doing if you have an example? Yeah, so um, can, let me walk you through. Let me walk you through a few examples okay. um, rather than just one because it might help um, help people see more broadly. Let me give an example of something we're doing internally and something that we're doing in partnership. Um, so let me talk about Livongo, for example. It's one of the companies um, that we are you know, uh, partnered with. Um, Livongo um, is a company that is uh, building sort of a really smart data analytics platform 
um, and intervention models to help people uh, dealing with diabetes. Um, so uh, they built a, a, a smart you know, glucometer, cloud-enabled glucometer. But actually, the, the magic and richness of the company is in how they are taking uh, glucometer data and, um, and having captured as much as they have over time. They're doing the kind of analytics where they can personalize, help people understand how to better personalize their insulin regimen, for example. Mm-hmm. So they can, they're starting to understand how someone's um, blood glucose changes over the course of a day and based on their activity because they're getting so much more information than a doctor might get in just a few meetings with a, with a, a patient with diabetes um, you know, a few times a year. So these guys are able to provide both the intervention models, the, uh, the, uh, the coaching services, as well as analytics that are starting to say, wow, this person's drug regimen says insulin this many times a day. Based on our analytics, it looks like they probably should be this many times a day, and these times of day are going to be most effective for them. And then that information can go back to their provider. So creating very highly personalized solutions for people so that um, so that they actually are getting better results um, is a really interesting uh, partnership we're thinking about and working on with Livongo. Um, I think, and that's just with diabetes, they could extend that kind of a model into other kinds of chronic conditions. Um, we're also doing work internally um, with, uh, you know, with our congestive heart failure patients. If you think about uh, members with, with congestive heart failure, it's a really scary disease. If somebody, if a doctor diagnoses you with heart failure, you can just imagine what that feels like for people. It's terrifying. It creates a lot of anxiety. They want to continue to be able to live their life, but in some cases, they sort of feel like a walking time bomb, which they are not, Mm -hmm. but it feels that way. And so how do we create um, the kinds of services that make them feel like they've got some more information on a day-to-day basis so that they um, so they can you know live their lives. So we have a number of different programs for congestive heart failure patients and members. Um, you know some some are around how we help monitor them on a day to day basis in really simple ways. Even just by um, someone with congestive heart failure, if you start to notice an increase in their weight um, that's unexplained. Um, it isn't. It, it could be because their medications aren't working well. It isn't necessarily about how their um, isn't necessarily about them gaining weight because they eat too much Chinese food. You know, it could be just literally because their medications aren't working, and that can be an early indicator of a potential acute event. So we starting to we're starting to create new ways of helping people feel like we kind of got their back. We've we're helping to monitor them and see them and create interventions so that they can just feel a little less anxiety about managing their disease. Um, and then help provide them with interventions and tools and knowledge and education so that they too um, can be as engaged in managing their disease. It can help reduce anxiety and keep them more um, more active and more engaged um, as they uh, as as they manage the disease, so there's lots of ways that we think about it that are really human centered, um, understanding the emotional places that people are coming from, but also, um, like I said, that that sort of consumer centric piece. But also, how do we apply technology to help you know manage, help people manage, and help people kind of where they are personally in their own health journey? 
Oh, that's interesting. All right, so so I have so many questions, but uh, we don't have time for all of them. But so you guys, I mean, yeah, I I love the attitude because it's like you're like you kind of uh, alluded to it. You're almost like the, a guardian angel, right? You're you're helping kind of over. Yeah, I mean that's a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a stretch. But no, uh, it is. I, I but I think it is about. Um, I, I'm not sure guardian angel is the right thing, but it's it, because a lot of this um, is about. It, it's really about. Um, self-empowerment for people. It's providing information to them so that they can start to have a better idea so that they can feel a little bit more in control. Um, you don't want it to feel like, um, by, like, like someone is ceding control. It's the opposite of that. It's helping people feel like they're more in control. And, um, and that actually can, you know, makes a huge difference both, um, for how someone, uh, you know, can feel like they can live their life when they feel like they've got a little more control. And and so with uh, Livongo, you know, I'm curious because often I talk to startups and everyone's like, "Well, who's going to pay for it? How's this going to work? What's the ROI?" You know, so mm-hmm. with Livongo, like how whatever you can disclose, you know how how is it paid yeah. for, and uh, you know how do you kind of determine the ROI? And you know, and there's so many factors. So I know, you, yeah, you can answer however you want, but uh, just curious yeah. kind of how you, from your perspective, how you look at something like that. Well, I think a lot of different startups. This is a challenge that they that they have in this in the healthcare space. Is that um, there's a little bit of a um, chicken and egg problem, which is most companies don't want to talk to any of the startups until they've you know proven the ROI, and most of these startups can't prove their ROI until <laughs> they've had an opportunity to like get you know access to to members. So. I think a lot of times what we do in partnership is try to find some of those companies that um, have uh, an interesting technology that we actually think can make an impact on our members. And we really try to work side by side with them to create the right kinds of conditions and pilots and tests so that they can get the information they need to prove to prove the value. Increasingly, um, uh, most startups are finding that pretty much everyone, providers and payers, uh, health systems, are all expecting that at least in the long run, startups are building business models, they're going to be able to take on risk. So that it's not just about selling a device. It's not just about providing a service and getting paid you know, per member per month. It's about um, moving the needle on health, slowing disease progression, making real changes in the industry so that, a, so that a startup is so confident in their ability to deliver value that they're willing to take some of that value at risk. So we really help our, our startup mm. partners to think about their models that way because that's going to be the key to long-term success for many of them. Interesting. And and would uh, Humana, our health insurance company, pay for the the, the entire kind of Livongo program, or is it some? This, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a it's on a it's on a case by case basis. Yeah. I, right. I you know I'm not going to say enough. you know, but I, I think <laughs> like the the way to think about it for small startups who are yeah. trying to figure out their way in is, um, you know, this is another thing that I firmly believe in in this space, having been a, a, now that I'm a genius in it since I've been there for, you know, two and a half years. But the, um, but, you know, one of the insights that I have is um, that um, unlike, unlike other big industries where the expectation is that there could be this 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 unicorn small company that's going to come along and just sort of take over the industry, um, there may be some that are phenomenally successful, um, but I actually believe the success for many startups in this um, in this industry is going to be in partnership with some of the large players because of the complexity of business, 
because of the compliance challenges, because, um, you know, the, the way that value and, and dollars flow in the industry are really different than a lot of other industries. And so um, inserting yourself into this industry kind of is going to require a big brother to help you help you find your way in. So I encourage a lot of companies to um, to really understand that getting a getting a, a partner in in your success is important. I think a lot of startups um, uh, and I think they get pushed on this a lot of times by investors try too hard too early too fast to try to get commercial traction get get big contracts with big with hmm. big companies but what you really should be doing is trying to find you know a big brother who's going to help you along the way and will commit to you as a side by side partner in your success not just as a customer um, and those are really different relationships. And so I, I, I really encourage startups to be looking at some of the big companies along the way as, um, as, as true partners, not just as, you know, sometimes we use the term partner a lot of times in business, and all it means is customer. I, I mean literally find someone in a way like a big company that almost operates like a mentor. That's pretty valuable. We should just end the podcast right there for any startup listening. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, so, mm-hmm. but, and so if you were a startup and you're like, Oh, I really want to talk to Humana or maybe another company, you know, how, mm-hmm. how would you go about doing it? At what point? And I don't, maybe it's probably best to have like a specific example if we can think of one, but yeah, you know, how, how would you, what advice would you give if you were going to be a startup trying to approach Humana and partner with them? Well, it depends on where you are in in your in your yeah, maturity yeah. and journey. Um, but I always like the same thing. I encourage and, and coach startups to take a learning frame and not a commercial frame. Um, there's a lot that you can learn by um, just trying to develop the kinds of relationships that are going to help you. Um, tap into the subject matter expertise of some of the large companies, you know, um, we have people at Humana who know a ton about the regulatory environment. We have people at Humana who know a ton about, um, about, you know, care management and care delivery. We have a ton of people at Humana who know about the pharmacy business. Um, so, you know, when you think about the, we know we have a ton of people at Humana who know how to market to, um, to, you know, people who are over 65 and know how to engage and create engagement in that group. So I think recognizing um, that the, the, a lot of the big players have a ton of expertise that can be valuable to startups and to approach the conversations that way, as opposed to um, sales pitch conversations is the first, like take an open-minded learning frame in your, in your engagement with, um, with large corporations. I think that's the first piece of advice I would give. Um, the second is, um, I would be, um, uh, you know, look, look for folks who are, um, who are the innovation folks as much as you can, um, try to find them inside of the organization because they're going to be the people who are going to be able who most likely can look more, uh, holistically across the whole enterprise and can help guide you and advocate for you effectively inside of a large corporation. Um, don't think that. Uh, large corporations don't always know what the right hand and left hand are doing. You'd be surprised. Email is an amazing thing. And people know when you are, you know, talking to 16 different people um, inside of an organization, it, it, it gets around and it doesn't, it doesn't look good. So um, 
you know, try to find the people who can help guide you into the organization and, um, and build partnerships, build partnerships. Hmm. Nice. Okay. And, and this, this question is a little more on the ins- insurance focus, but you know, we're talking a lot about kind of this te- these technologies that can help people and, and so w- which mm-hmm. would be very applicable to value-based care. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I keep hearing about this value-based care and some people say it's here, mm-hmm. some people will say it's, but it doesn't always feel like it's here. Um, I mean, from mm-hmm. your perspective, like, are we in the middle of the transformation or do you think it's largely <laughs> here or what's... Oh, no, we're definitely, we are on a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. It's going to take a while. Okay. It's going to take a while. Yeah, there's a lot of transformation that has to happen in the industry for it to really take hold. Um, it's, you know, it's a new business model and, you know, there's lots of, lots of, you know, folks out there, providers, small, you know, small physician offices that are trying to manage essentially two business models. They're trying to do a mm. fee-for-service model and a, and a value-based model with different kinds of insurance. That's brutal. It's really hard. So um, hats off to those providers that are, are working really hard to try to, um, to make the changes that, that need to happen. But it is not easy. It's not easy for the large health systems. It's not easy for the payers. So um, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. It will be enabled by new technology. It'll be enabled by new kinds of analytics, but um, it's just going to take a while. It, it's just going to it's going to take a while. It's an it's an industry transformation, but it is you know it's it's happening. Gotcha. Okay. And I want to just go back to one uh, one of the programs we talked about briefly because I, I I went down another topic, but about heart failure mm-hmm. and the cardiovascular program you yeah. have and. And so yeah. are you guys providing, like so the, your, your teams are actually, well, not your team, but Humana is providing the support too around that? Um, like people can call you up and, or are you working with um, providers to do that? So um, it varies. Um, so what what exactly are you trying to understand? Well, I mean, that's like a yes or no question. Like what's the, what's the <laughs> yes, what's I, the, right. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how, you know, like where you start and or where you end and then providers kind of pick up, you know, I'm trying to figure out how you're working providers on that. Yeah. So I think maybe one way to think about the healthcare industry is to, is to, it it isn't, it's, it's, there's not a lot of ones and zeros. Um, So in that, in that, um, in that uh, here's where the payer stops and here's where the, the PCP starts. Um, I think what we're going to find increasingly over time is that, um, you know, payers and and primary care physicians and specialists are going to start working side by side. There's going to be much more integration in uh, data and understanding as there's a recognition that we all have the same interests, which is to to ensure that that the member's health is is the best it can be. And... um, uh, that alignment and goals uh, means it, it stops being about, um, you know, uh, being either in opposition or that there's like these, you know, there's just these hard, hard moments um, where somebody lets go and somebody grabs. It's mm-hmm. um, it's this recognition that we're side by side. And so technology is going to enable a lot of that. There's going to be much more connectivity, I think, between payers and, and primary care physicians to um, to enable better communication, more real-time communication, et cetera. So that's some kind of your, your question is. It's maybe asking you're maybe asking the wrong question. Um, <laughs> it's true. It, it, it may be that it may be the question is, um, you know, how can members' health 
be um, how how will this shift to value based care have an impact on member health? And what the answer is is that payers and providers, by aligning incentives and goals together, are going to be together focused on um, on on people's health primarily. Hmm. Which is what it should be. That makes sense. All right, that's good. Yep. I should ask that. All right, nice. <laughs> I like it. And, all right, so we're almost out of time, but I've got a couple more questions. Uh, sure. One is around your venture fund, and uh, just curious, mm-hmm. you know, for those any startups out there, you know, what type of, and it's probably a, a huge variety, but are there any certain type of companies you're really looking for where you're sitting around with your team and saying, man, I wish somebody was in this space because we really don't have anybody in this space. Is there anything like that? So, um, yeah. so let me let me let me think about. So we don't actually have a venture fund. So okay. um, uh, we, you know, as a as a as a company, we invest in startups, um, the right kinds of partners. Yes. But we actually are first and foremost looking for strategic partners that are going to help us, um, you know, sort of advance that mission. So um, if and that kind of goes back to if there are companies that are. Um, that are, are developing holistic solutions that deliver amazing member experiences that are um, have amazing scalable technology that can move the needle on on someone's disease progression or help someone better manage their health um, that's gonna and they're willing to take risk and they're um, they're gonna be there's going to be real material um, you know impact um, from that. Then those are the kinds of companies we're going to be talking to and looking at as partners. Okay, makes sense. All right, and uh, so last topic, and uh, unfortunately, is that, uh, and I mentioned this at the beginning. I was going to talk about it right away, and then you went down a, a nice path. So I'm like, oh, I'll ask at the end mm-hmm. with, around your improv. So I'm, I, I'm curious when, oh. you, <laughs> when you start improv. And I did see a video of you uh, on your Twitter feed of you doing some improv at uh, uh, some conference. So that was. We'll oh yeah, I did that. talk about it. Yes. Yeah, I did talk about yes, it. But yes. made a bunch of people come up on stage and yeah. do improv. I actually didn't have to do any. It was kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so when yeah, when did you start and how did you get into it? Um, you know, I I I think I started somewhere. I don't know, probably twelve, fifteen years ago. I've been in the in the performing troupe that I'm in right now probably for about ten years. Um, and um. How did I get into it? Honestly, a friend of mine, I, I just, I don't know, I was having lunch with her and she had just taken an improv class and she said, oh, you should do it. It's really fun. So I went and took an improv class and I got hooked. And I just, um, for me, it's, uh, a lot of people don't understand that improv is really, uh, it's an art form. It's a, it's a, it's a creative outlet for people. It's about um, creating, you know, a story in real time with other people um, and that, there's no script and uh, the story didn't exist before. And once it's over, it will never exist again. Mm. And so the, the joy of, of doing it is, is in the creation of something with other people. Um, there's also a lot of, uh, it really tests your limits in vulnerability and, and willing to be, uh, you know, we do um, improv singing, for example, like, We'll have an improvising uh, keyboardist, and we'll get on stage and we'll improv an entire Disney musical. And <laughs> with uh, with you know that means that while you're singing a duet, you are making up the words, making up the harmony, making up the melody while you're trying to get while your keyboardist is trying to 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 follow you along at the same time. 
and, and tell a story um, all live while it's happening at the same time. There's no planning. So, and when you're singing and doing that at the same time, it's a wonderful exercise in how to epically fail. (laughs) So, so, um, so to me, it's the, uh, but but when you succeed and, and there's, and the sort of this creation happens, it's absolutely invigorating. So, um, there's, it's also an exercise and I talk a lot about this, which is, um, improv is, is never about being the one with the one liner. When you, when you do improv, your job is to help your partner look good and trust that they have the same thing. Their job is to help you look good. And so when you get up on stage, you kind of feel like you've always got wingmen there with you. And, and I, and I take that into the work that I try to do every day, which is I, I take a frame, which is my job is to help other people look good and trust that they're going to help me look good. You know, the other thing you learn from improv is that when there's a lot of white space and a lot of blank stuff, when you're, when, if you, if you choose to underprepare a little bit, um, you will find that there's actually a lot of magic that exists in that white space. Um, and that you have in you kind of what you're going to need <clears throat> to succeed in that moment. So you start to trust yourself a little bit more too. Hmm. <clears throat> That, that sounds, sounds, that's sounds, what I love about improv. It sounds super intimidating. Is uh, innovation in healthcare sounds a lot <laughs> easier than improv, especially the <laughs> Disney musical. <laughs> that sounds tough. <laughs> oh man, do you, yeah. Do, do you get yeah. do you get more nervous doing an improv show than like speaking in, in front of a large group, or, a, or is it or maybe you don't get nervous for either one? I I definitely get nervous for improv <laughs> big time. I but. think every I think now I think everybody gets nervous. I yeah. think um I think nervous nerves um they're just actually they're really healthy. That kind of stress is actually believe it or not good for us. It, it creates a little bit of adrenaline, and um it's uh it it helps us in those moments when we're um when we when we need to execute. Um, so I, I actually think nerves in those moments are a good thing. It, you know, maybe that's a weird thing, but, uh, I'm, uh, you know, there's, there's research that, that actually says that. Um, uh, but I think when I, it's funny when I started at, uh, at Humana, you know, it's a new language and when you, when you, anybody who's, who's jumped from one industry to another industry, you discover that all the acronyms mean different things. There's, there is an inside baseball language inside of every industry, and so it probably took me, I said, it probably took me about, you know, three months to understand what everybody was saying. <laughs> and then probably another three to four months to actually speak the language. And I would say I'm still probably not fluent. Um, so when I, when I was asked to start to speak on healthcare at conferences, I was nervous because I knew I would get questions from the audience afterwards and they would ask me some inside baseball thing with some acronym. And I would have to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm new to this industry. I don't know what DRGFW means. (laughs) So, so, um, so, uh, uh, but, um, but I, you know, it's, I, I don't, I think everybody gets nerves. I think nerves are, are, uh, uh, you know, uh, something to embrace a little bit, um, because it, it's a, it means you're alive. It's good. It's true. And, and it means you're doing something new mm-hmm. or a little, you know, makes it means makes you're you doing less... something on the edge. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. It means you're doing something on the edge. Absolutely. All right. That's, right. Well, that's a great place to end the podcast. And, okay. uh, Busyos is awesome. And this time it is recorded. So 
I'll, I'll, I'll email you when it's secure in the cloud for sure. Yeah, but... let's not make this one third time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Charm, right? the, the, if, if this doesn't work, don't worry. You won't be hearing from me. I'll just be. I'll. I'll go. I'll crawl, crawl my little rabbit hole and cry. No. no. <laughs> oh man. Okay. But I really appreciate you great. doing this again. I, yeah. Okay. This is great. So. Um, awesome. Yeah. And uh, fun, All right. fun hearing your story. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening to a, another episode of a Flyover Labs. As always, okay. I, I great to talk to you, Dave. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Busy. It was fun. Thanks, you. Right. See you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.